wrapping up today in May. Um, so it's been a while. We've been walking with Jesus to the mountain. And this is the, the last in that series. Uh, I've mentioned it the last couple of sermons that Jesus, at this point in the sermon, he is, he is rounding third and heading for home, right? And so here he steps up to offer us an invitation. There are four vignettes at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, four of them, but they're all basically the same point. In fact, it's such an important point that he drives it home not once, not twice, four times. To make sure that you don't miss it, he comes into the same room for, through four different doors. He invites us into it. And, and before I get into his pictures, I want to begin with it by saying that this, what Jesus is doing here, is addressing a kind of heretical Christianity that I think he was very aware would grow up. And it's something with which you and I have to contend. Because we live so very far downstream from Jesus that the pollution of Christian life is, there's a ton of it. And some of it we're very aware of. In Churches of Christ, we're known as the Restoration Movement, or at least a branch of that movement. And, and that's a reform movement that looks back over the mess of church history and says, let's just do Christianity more simply. Let's do Bible things, Bible ways, call them by Bible names. If it's, if it's there in the Scripture, let's do that. And if it's not there in the Scripture, let's not do that. And let's take the Bible as our creed, as our way of life. That's kind of who we are. But there is a reform that still threatens. And it's these four vignettes that challenges it. And here it is. I don't really have to do right to get to heaven. Christ did right for me. So it's okay that I'm a mess. Now, there's a way in which that's absolutely true. I mean, you heard my welcome at the beginning, right? Whoever you are, whatever you've done, doesn't matter. You're welcome here. That's absolute truth. That's gospel. It's good news that there is no one beyond the reach and the grace of God, that He wants everyone for Himself. But it is a damned lie. And I'm not cursing when I say that. It is a lie of hell itself that says that you can be both saved and lost at the same time. That you can be saved by Jesus Christ and wicked in your conduct. When you are saved by Jesus Christ, you are saved in part from consequence of wicked conduct. But you are also saved from wicked conduct. God expects us to grow in righteousness and to become more righteous. I have known of folks, and I'm sure you have too. In fact, I've struggled with this. Because like I say, it's a heresy, and it's so prevalent in our world. I've known of folks who will just say, well, you know, I'm an angry person, but that's just who I am. Deal with it, and, and don't you dare tell me i got to be different because Jesus Christ died for me. Heresy. That is heresy. And we will, you know, the funny thing is, we'll accept it with some sins and not with others. I'm a glutton, and that's just who I am. Deal with it. I'm an adulterer. I sleep around with everything that moves. Deal with it. No, we won't deal with that one. We will say no, right? 
We call that one away, but there are all these acceptable sins. And most of them have to do with things like meanness of spirit, you know, or, or arrogance or pride. We'll just dismiss that. It's no big deal. Sin is always a big deal. You are absolutely forgiven and you are called to do better. There is always mercy for the repentant sinner. Always. And there is always call to the Christian. He died so you'd quit doing that. He died to rescue you and set you free. And if you are still actively practicing and dismissing your sin and saying it's no big deal, you're not free! He is calling you. Come to Me and find healing. Find forgiveness, but also find salvation and redemption and freedom from that which oppresses. And to make this very clear, Jesus wraps up His Sermon on the Mount hitting this point not once, not twice, but four times. Four times. Some of them are more obvious than others. The first time that he comes into this thing, it's really pretty clear, right? He comes and he says, look, there are two roads, two ways. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Because there is this broad road that leads to destruction and most go that way. But the way that leads to life is narrow and difficult, and few there are that find it. And what's his point? Well, people walk on roads because they're headed to destinations. I suppose there are people who run on roads because the destination is good health. They don't want to be a fat dude, and so they get out and they run on the road. And they're not really headed anywhere except eventually back home. But for the most part, people go on roads. When you get onto a road, it's because you want to go somewhere. You came to this building this morning, right? How many of you, when you got up this morning, you got in your car, and when you got here, you were like, look at that, I'm at church, I guess I'll go worship. And no idea I was headed here, but here I am, so I might as well. No, you got up this morning with a destination in mind. Well, the fact is, all of us live our lives that way. We're headed towards something. We have a destination in mind. But what Jesus says is, the road you're, you're headed on, where, what is that destination? For the most part, people have bad destinations. They don't realize that they are destructive ends. And so they are on a path to a destructive end that they have identified as a good. They've said, I want that thing. I want wealth, or I want power, or I want beauty, or I want fame, or I want people to like me, or I want health, or I want whatever it is. And they set that thing up and they say, okay, well, how do I get there? And off they go on the path. And Jesus says they have got a bad destiny in mind. They just don't recognize it as that. When I was a little kid... My, uh, my dad used to read the Narnia Chronicles to me, and one day my dad was going to teach me to barter. We went into this, uh, I think it was kind of a pawn shop, I don't really know, um, and I, I think he was there after some item he had seen, and we walk into this, it was like this shop of wonders, all these weird eclectic items all over the place. Hanging on the wall behind the dude behind the counter was this horn. And oh, 
oh man, it looked really cool. And like I said, my dad was reading Narnia to me at the time, and I thought of Lucy's horn, and the horn that calls the heroes, you know, and it's supposed to bring the heroes of old. I was maybe four, maybe five, I think it was four, you know, or five, I don't know. And I'm looking up at this, this horn, and I'm like, oh man, I want that. Well, my dad decides to train me to barter, right? This is a place where you can barter, and, and the thing is $4, but you can get that for 2 And if you can get it for 2 I'll buy it. And he talks to me about, you know, talk down the item. The guy's going to recognize what you're doing, and he's going to come with his lower price, and you just, you just go back and forth. With and uh, so I go in, and I'm, I was like, Dad, I don't want to do that. Can you just buy it? And he's like, no, no, but if you do this, and I'm like, oh, I hate bartering to this day. But I go in and I'm like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't look all that impressive to me. And he made the salesman's mistake. He took it down and he blew on it. And it wasn't Lucy's horn. It was Bozo's horn. Because it went, oh, God. You know, and I'm like, yep, never mind. I don't really need that thing at all. And I want, you know, there are so many people who think they're looking at, at Lucy's horn that are headed for Bozo. In fact, they're headed for worse than Bozo's horn. They're headed for death. They don't know it. There is one way through this life that leads to life. And that's setting your eyes on Jesus Christ. You put your eyes on that goal. Put your eyes on God and you follow Him into His ways. You follow Jesus Christ, not meaning, okay, well, I'm going to be really awful and terrible to people around me, but I'm going to follow Jesus. That isn't following Jesus Christ. You set your eyes on Him. You seek to be like Him. You set your eyes on Jesus and you try to be His disciple. Are you going to blow it? Sure. That's a different thing. But that heresy of I can do whatever I want is a path that leads to destruction. It leads to ruin of your soul. It's non-discipleship Christianity. He's called you to something better. There are many people who wear the name Christian who will betray you in business. There are many people who wear the name Christian who will lie to your face if it's in their best interest. There are many people who wear the name Christian who will mistreat you. They are not on the path. Now, like I say, it's one thing to stumble off the path, and it's another thing to be devoted to it. Where are you headed? And he puts that in front of you and says, what kind of life are you going to live? Are you going to live my way or not? Because there aren't many people that are doing this. But it leads to life. And this leads to distortion and brokenness and death. Every other way does, and there are few that find it. He says, beware of false... In his second, beware of false prophets who will come after me. They're dressed up like sheep, and inside they're ravenous wolves. Now, that doesn't sound all that much like a warning to me. It sounds, I mean, it does, a warning to me about other people. It doesn't sound so much like a call to discipleship, but he goes on. He says, by their fruits, you will know them. Such that I think the whole point is that the leadership issue, the person who comes at you looking great, but is really wicked, becomes a parable for so many Christians. By, your, by their fruits, you'll know them. Are, are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? No, of course not. A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear 
bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you know them. He's saying a way of life reveals the true nature of the person. What kind of person is this? It will be revealed by how they live. Well, of course, I'm not merely looking at the potential false prophet who can kill my soul. You know, the person who says to you, hey, don't worry about it. You don't have to make anything right. Don't even try. Jesus died for you. That's enough. And you're good. Look, Jesus' death is enough to empower a new way of life. To call you into something better than you can possibly be on your own. It absolutely is enough. But to presume upon it and remain evil is not what he came to do. He came to call Christians to become good, holy, beautiful, loving things. What kind of fruit's coming out of us? Now, here's the thing about trees I've never gotten an apple from an oak tree, not even one time. I've never gotten a pear from those fake pears. What are those things called? Bradford pears. Never once got a pear from it. Got a whole bunch of broken branches, but never a pear from a Bradford pear. And I never will. But you know what? Pears, Bradford pears can't bear fruit because they can't change. The tree is what it is. And its nature isn't going to change. But you know what? If the Lord God stepped in front of a Bradford pear and said, bear fruit for me, boom, that tree would bear fruit. It absolutely would. Because God can change the nature of a thing. And so the warning comes to say, look, those trees that are wicked are bearing wicked fruit, and those trees that are good are bearing good fruit. Which kind of tree are you? And if you look at yourself and you're like, I am covered with thorns, well, no wonder there's not grapes. How are you going to solve that? Come to the one who can change the nature of the tree. It's what he's been talking about this whole time. He can change you. So you come to Him with truth in prayer, and you come to Him with reality and an authenticity when you give to the poor, or when you fast. I mean, those activities, so that you can be with Him, so that He can change you from a wicked tree to a good one, and you will bear good fruit. But the point here at the end of the sermon is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? What kind of person are you? And of course the warning is there. Don't you know, just throw down with someone who is going to come in order to consume you. And obviously you don't need to be doing that. That's a bad idea. But the point also is a differentiation of lives. There are two different lives here. One is good and beautiful and one not. And he comes to, with the challenge to us to say, where are you with this? His third vignette, not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, I grew up with a Christianity that would call that heresy. The way you get into heaven is not by doing good. That's depending on good works in order to get into heaven. And here is Jesus teaching heresy. What is he doing? Well, obviously, he's not teaching heresy. He's not. And so, obviously, also... The cross is in the Gospel of Matthew and in the intentions and plans of the Messiah. You get into heaven through the cross. Of course you do. 
But those who pass through the cross, who actually do, end up changed by it such that they do the will of the Father who is in heaven. And there's a big clue here that he says, many people will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of power in your name? We healed the sick and we raised... We did all kinds of thaumaturgical things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, the way that I do the will of the Father in heaven is I get to know the Christ. He wants to build relationship with us. He is our Savior and our hope. And it is by being with Him that our sins are cleansed, but not just forgiven and still all over us. No, they are washed away through the progress of our lives so that we change and we become different. We don't hang on to our hates. We don't hang on to our meanness. We don't hang on to our cruelties. We don't hang on to our lusts. We don't hang on to our grudges. They are cleansed out of us and we become increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may not be able to see that at any given moment. You know, if you took a snapshot of me at my worst moment, you'd go, well, that's not a Christian. It's not your call. You know, the Lord Jesus knows who are His, and He is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. But hopefully, if you look into your life over a series of decades, you'll see that change. You'll see that you increasingly become able to do the will of the Father. You'll see your, your hates diminish, your loves increase. You'll see peace become stronger. This is the life of Christianity. And like I say, it, the heretical Christianity is trying to purge that out so that you absolutely can be just as mean and nasty as you want to be and still have the confidence of heaven. Jesus, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times at the end of His sermon, puts in front of us that picture of those who are saved do the will of the Father. And then you become what He wants you to be through His work. And it is that question of, does He know me? Would He know me if I walked into the room with Him? Would He recognize me? Well, He'll recognize you if you've spent time with Him. Of course, He knows everyone and knows everything, but there are people with whom He is in an intimate, close relationship. And He's saying, is it you? Because it'll show up in your fruit. And it'll show up in the road you're walking on. Is it you? And then one last picture. Anyone who hears these words of mine, and he goes out of his way to make sure, by the way, have you been listening? You know, these words of mine, they will tell you how to live this life. They will tell you how to do the will of the Father. I mean, after all, chapter 5, what is that? He's telling you what the Father's will is. It is the law of Moses interpreted this way. So that it isn't about just sin management on the outside, but transformation of the interior person. What is your heart like? That's the will of the Father. My goodness, how do I do that? That is so hard. Well, you can't do that on your own. So, you come quietly into your closet and you pray. You spend time in fasting with washed hair that nobody knows you're doing it. You approach God and you spend time with Him and He changes you from the inside out. That's how you do it. Jesus has taught us how to be transformed people 
in this sermon. So he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that'll be like somebody who built their house on a solid foundation. They built their house on a rock. And the winds come, and the, the storms raised, the floods rose, but that house stood firm because it was built on a rock. But anybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built his house on sand. The winds came, rains fell, the floods rose, and that house fell with a crash. How great was the crash? Kind of a depressing end to a sermon, really, but what he's doing there is he's saying, look, you know, the, the people in the ancient world, they would recognize, why would anyone build on sand? I mean, that's a bad idea just from an architectural standpoint. People wouldn't want to build on sand because it's easy. They want to build on sand because it's close to water. In the area, in the region where Jesus was preaching, there were things called wadis, which were dry riverbeds. They only really fill up with moving water when the rain falls up in the mountains. And the water collects and it flows down. But if you dig in a wadi, you go down a foot or so, and that river is still there. The water is there to be found, and it's easy to access. Water weighs eight pounds a gallon. And you need several gallons for a family. So every day, if you built way up on a hillside, you've got to carry water for your kids and for yourself, for your washing, for your cooking, eight pounds a gallon every day. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place where life is easy and you can just do whatever you want and it's right there? You can dig in your living room and find water? That would be great. You wouldn't have to carry that stuff anymore. Except that you have dug in a place of hazard and danger where you're going to be destroyed when the spring rains come. Saying there is a choice in life. Listen to Jesus Christ and purge yourself of the inability to forgive. Listen to Jesus Christ and purge yourself of hatred of your enemies. Listen to Jesus Christ and come into control of your hungers and your desires and your lust. Listen to Jesus Christ and turn the other cheek to the people who mistreat you and abuse you. Listen to Jesus Christ and find yourself free from anger and contempt or be destroyed. There's the choice. And he gave it not once, not twice, not three times, not four, but, but oh yeah, four times. <laughs> four times. He's making sure we got the point. There is a choice in front of us, and Christians, it's in front of Christians. We are far down the stream. There has been a lot of pollution. And that heresy of you can be a wicked person and follow Jesus. Well, there is a truth in that. Can you have sin in your life and follow Jesus? My goodness, I hope so. I still do. I fight against the wickedness that that I learned as a child. I don't want to be that man. And I'm trying so hard through discipleship and seeking the Holy Spirit's power to change. I want to be different. And my hope is in Jesus Christ. Is it possible to have sin in your life? Absolutely. Is it possible to say, I don't have to change. No one's really got a right to ask it of me and claim to be a Christian and end up dead and in hell. Yeah, it's absolutely possible. 
Absolutely. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a chicken coop makes you a chicken. It is a life of discipleship into which we are called. A life of following Jesus into that changed, transformed, beautiful way of life that He put in front of us. And to make sure that we know it, He told us four times. Follow my way. Look at what kind of fruit you're bearing. Come to know me that I might come to know you. And build your life on this. Because all other lives are destructive. And the invitation is set before us. And if you're a Christian, set this thing in front of you every single day that you might take up the cross and follow Jesus. This is what we are called into. The way of following Jesus is not simple. It is a hard way. But it is a beautiful way. And you are invited to become a beautiful person by Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can do it. Not by your strength or your might or your power, but by His. And He's inviting you come to Me. Make the choice to come to Jesus and to God and be transformed and become glorious. Or die. But He puts that wonderful hope in front of us. There are two options every single time. A life that's lived with a crashing collapse or a life that transcends into beauty. Which are you? You know, as I look into myself, I see his work, at least I hope so. And I hear this. I hear this sermon that I just preached with some fear. You know, Paul calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But he gives us the hope that it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And I look at that and I go, oh God, please continue to save me. Rescue me from what I will be without Your mighty hand. Save me and lead me into the way of life for Your name's sake, because I can't do it without You. None of us can. But none of us have to. We are invited to become more than we can ever be on our own. And the invitation is set before you today. If you look into your life today and you're like, wow, I have been living a Christian life, but not a discipled one. The invitation comes to you. Be more than that. Follow Jesus and live. It may be that you came into this place and you were carrying this load of suffering, but you know it, it has nothing to do with what I talked about. Well, this is a praying church. We want to pray for you. We absolutely do. Let us do it. And if you're not following Jesus Christ, His is the way of life that leads to life. Come with us and live. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?